Minus 15. Respect all, fear none. Into the upper deck. Intensity is not a perfume. Oh, mercy! Five, four, three, two, one. It's alive after the season seemed nearly dead after the first week. Throw in the towel, the Orioles have climbed back, and after taking three of four from the New York Yankees at Yankee Stadium, they seem to be back in the thick of things in the AL East. Paul Mancano, Bobby Blanco, and joined by Steve Molesky of MassInSports.com. Thank you so much for joining Sitting us, Sitting ovation here. <laughs> Thank you, Steve. Thanks for joining us. It's <laughs> awesome. Our first guest That's of the nice. season on the Mass and All Access podcast. I'm honored. Yeah, I'm honored. Yeah, can't can't ask for a better first guest here. Uh, and Steve, what a time to to have you on here after <laughs> an incredible series at Yankee Stadium. Oh, the O's taken three of four. 44 combined innings over those four games. Just a wild series. Wild, wild. We were just talking before we started recording those famous fan graphs, win probability stats. What was the win probability for the Orioles when Brad Brock loaded the bases with no outs facing coming up the reigning American League Rookie of the Year, second for the MVP, 1,000 OPS, followed by the National League MVP, 1,000 OPS, back-to-back. I mean, the, the win probability had to be very low, but somehow Brad Brock was able to get that ball hit back to him. Amazing double play, and then he struck out um, Giancarlo Stanton. That was obviously pretty exciting for Oriole fans to watch him strike it out five times, <laughs> go over seven. So, I mean, we've seen meltdowns for the Orioles over the years at Yankee Stadium, and that was headed that direction, and it didn't happen. So, I, I thought I was in Houston, and I thought the last two games in Houston – They played a lot better. Those games were tied in the bottom of the seventh. They both hung in the balance. And Houston, they're so good. I mean, they made hits and they they pulled away. But uh, so I think some of that carried over. Played better in New York, and so uh, it's kind of going four and six against that schedule. It's not bad. You mentioned Brad Brock and the escape act that he put together, and we've seen early in the season. You know, he. He's the eighth inning guy. You know, with Zach Britton fully healthy, he's the closer. And Br- and Brock has sometimes struggled in the closer's role, so to speak. And, I mean, how big mm-hmm. was it, do you think, for his confidence to come in, like you said, bases loaded, no out jam against Stanton and Judge, and to get out of there clean with a victory? I mean, big. And so I think Brad is a very honest guy, and I think he's even admitted that it's just been mentally tougher for him to pitch tonight. This is why I say – those last three outs are the hardest, and the sabermetricians say they're the same three outs as any <laughs> inning. It's not so. Yeah. The last three, it's just, it's just the last chance for the other team. You face pinch hitters. Uh, they do things they wouldn't do in the sixth, seventh, and eighth because it is the last chance. Yeah. And, and your team has done a lot right for all those innings, in this case 11, and now it's the 12th, and it's all riding on your arm. So I don't think it's the same as any other inning. And so I think Brad has had some shaky saves. We know that. But um, it should provide him a boost with uh, what he did in New York. Yeah, absolutely. And not just Brad Brock. The way the whole bullpen has pitched has really been a bright spot of this team, especially in Yankee Stadium. Uh, The starters have gone just in terms of wins and losses. We know that can be kind of a fickle stat, but they're just one and four. Only one win for a starting pitcher so far. And yesterday, not only was Brock the the hero, but Richard Blyer pitching three shutout innings. Uh, to keep that game going. When it seemed like the offense didn't have any chance of, sc- of pushing a run across, uh, the, it seemed like the Blyer especially was just keeping them in that game. 
It's amazing how he pitches. You know, 86, 88, 89. Yeah. Uh, he doesn't really have guy. a nine when he throws the ball. Yeah. But he sinks it. He slides it. He changes speeds. He changes eye levels. He's very smart. And he's a former Yankee, and I think we saw some of that emotion come out. Yeah, he said a couple times it's special to beat the Yankees for him, and he's honest to admit that. Yeah. I think with Blyer, uh, sometimes with players, when we see a guy like Blyer, who you guys know is a mild-mannered, reserved, quiet guy, yeah. uh, but there's something inside that we can't quantify. Yeah. We can't put a stat on, advanced or otherwise, the heart, the guts, the guile that Blyer has, and I mean, he's a keeper. I mean, the Orioles got this guy for a player to be named later or cash, yeah. you know, and so that's another good pickup <laughs> by Duquette. Uh, you know, he added Brock in a similar manner. He added Blyer. Yeah. Uh, I believe is how we pronounce it now, looks good as a rule, rule five. Yeah. I mean, he's got 11 strikeouts and seven and two-thirds. I mean, and he only throws 92. The changeup is so good for this kid. So um, the concern for the bullpen for me is how – much they've been taxed right and will we see that unfold to hurt them in the Toronto series the Boston series it could be that it hurts them 10 days from now yeah you know because they're piling up all these innings so Buck Walter sitting in his office right now probably thinking I'll take eight from Dylan tonight I'll take eight from tomorrow night from Kashner nice. and my bullpen can finally be off of fumes and uh, that's what he'd love to see. Yeah. You mentioned Blair. I remember back in spring training when we were down there, Paul, for mm -hmm. Mass and All Access, and uh, Blair joined um, Sarah Perlman for the show. And, you know, we're talking about the season. You're right. I could see the fire in him because he specifically mentioned the Yankees. I think Sarah asked him, like, what's it like, you know, being the underdog going into the season? And he specifically called out the Yankees. Yeah. So I think right. pitching at Yankee Stadium against his former team did bring a little fire under his belt. It was, it was good to see. Um, you mentioned Arahu. I think it was Rahu. Pedro Araujo? Well, they changed it to a four-syllable pronunciation. <laughs> Araujo. Araujo. Uh, is this pronunciation we've been given now. Um, so him, along with Anthony Santander, hit a big yeah. home run yesterday. And uh, Nestor Cortez Jr. we've seen a couple of times. I mean, what can you say about these Rule 5 guys that are contributing to the big league club this year? I can say that the Orioles beat the Yankees with two Rule 5 guys and a reserve outfielder yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they, they left New York with a huge win, and the heroes were not necessarily named Jones, Machado, and Scope. Yeah, right. They were named Blyer and Gentry yep. and Santander and Araujo, you know. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, this was something. Uh, I mean, that doesn't get, probably for Orioles fans, it doesn't get more exciting than that to beat the big spenders and see the $300 million man strike out to end it. And, I mean, again, knock on wood, because this isn't going to happen all year. Those guys are going to do big damage, as we know. But the Orioles kept Judge uh, and um, Giancarlo Stanton to under 200 and just one combined home run in that series. So that was pretty good. And, to, you know, the, it takes a village, man, and it took yeah. a 25-man roster to win that series. Absolutely. And the, you talk about how taxing that series was, especially that final game on the bullpen. I mean, you know, that kind of covers up the issue that Mike Wright had, giving up five runs uh, in the first two-thirds innings and then asking the bullpen to go out and give the rest of the, the 11 and one-third innings. Um, you know, Wright obviously is not going to be long for this rotation once they assume that um, they're going to get uh, uh, Alex Cobb back from the minor leagues. Um, you know, they would be nice if some of their pitchers were to go deep, but uh, we're, we're probably not going to see Cobb for several days at least. Um, you know, as somebody who keeps an eye on the, the minor leagues, are you expecting him to, uh, to come back and be uh, one of the dominant pitchers he was last year? 
It's going to be interesting. Um, he's pitching today, or he may have been be done by the time we're recording this, mm-hmm. uh, in extended spring against the Twins at Ed Smith Stadium. So his day, the next day to pitch would be Saturday. So they're talking Saturday or Sunday in Fenway for him to make his debut if all goes well with Cobb. That's what they're looking at. Um, you know, he was pretty good last year, and he kind of scrapped his changeup which has been a bread-and-butter pitch for him over the years. And he, if you look at the stats, was mainly a fastball, curveball guy and had still had a very good year. And so Cobb has told reporters a couple times that had nothing to do with his Tommy John surgery. He just never quite mechanically felt it, you know. So he kind of abandoned it for the most part. And he thinks he'll be a three-pitch pitcher this year. And the Orioles are banking on that because Bundy, Kashner, Cobb would be a nice trio to start with and I know they have a lot of confidence in Gosman and then you'll see what the fifth spot holds yeah uh with the off day on Thursday that kind of gives some room for Mm -hmm. you know how they can work around the the rotation I think right right now Mike Wright would be scheduled to go again on Saturday but with that off day you could push back because Bundy then could then start on Saturday instead and then you can insert Cobb somewhere wherever he's ready or they deem they feel he's ready. Um, what do you think is next for Mike Wright? Because, again, he didn't get out of the first inning. Um, you know, the Orioles end up winning the game, but, you know, the fifth starter spot has been a question. Everyone's waiting for Cobb to get back. So when Cobb is ready, what's next for Mike, Mike Wright Jr., you think? Uh, you know, he's kind of on the roster bubble right now. He's out of options, and I think they'd like to keep him, mm-hmm. but... Uh, they've got to make some moves, so somebody's going to be vulnerable here, maybe even as early as today, and we're, so we're going to see. Um, he started to show some good signs last year pitching in relief, and then his shoulder got hurt, and then we didn't see much of him, and so he couldn't build on that. And what I was looking at yesterday is, is a guy throwing 91-92 who used to throw 96-98, and I'm wondering where that 96-98 is with Mike Wright and if we'll see it in relief. So I'm thinking they would love on a perfect world to be able to keep him, mm-hmm. put him in a multi-inning relief role. Um, and I think the only reason he won the fifth starter, he didn't exactly pitch great in spring, but neither did Cortez. <laughs> Castro was hurt for mm-hmm. a lot of spring. Right. And they really like Castro in that multi-inning role, guy who can impact five, six, seven, somewhere right. in there, to tide it over to the late guys. And he's got a rubber arm, as we know. So, I mean, that's a great – in the American League, so many games are won and lost, and the Houston series is a prime example. Five, six, seven. Things happen after the starter leaves and before the late-inning guys get there, yeah. and Houston takes advantage of that. And so that's where Castro comes in big. So Mike is not a perfect fit for him right now, and he's kind of on the bubble as we get ready to see uh, if there's any moves today. Yeah, and, you know, this series in general, I think, just took a lot out of the Orioles. It was – uh, very hard-fought series up until the end, yeah. like I said, playing 44 combined innings, and the Orioles only outscoring the Yankees 23-20 to 20 over those four games. The schedule certainly could not have been more difficult to start, no. but it's not like it gets any easier from here. They face the Blue Jays at home, but then they're back on the road uh, to take on the Red Sox. I mean, considering how deep and strong the AL East is, you really could not draw up a tougher schedule for the Orioles. And after Boston, I believe it's Cleveland coming yeah. up before too long. Yeah. And so before April's over, they will have faced every playoff team that was in the American League last year, five for five. I'll bet you no other team in baseball yeah. can say that. 
which is kind of a little unfair. <laughs> so you basically have to survive. They're in survival mode in April. Right. You know, try to be around 500. Try to stay connected in the standings. Um, you know, prove you can play with the Yankees and Red Sox because you're going to see them all year. So that's going to be a big series when they get to Fenway. And the Red Sox have had the opposite. They played the Rays, who have gotten off to a terrible start, partly because of Boston. Yeah. And they played two games against the Marlins. I mean, they've had about the softest schedule you can have. And they've been able to bankroll eight wins. They're rolling six runs in the eighth yesterday. Yeah. So they, right now, you look at the stand, and wow, look at the Red Sox. Well, what would their record have been had they played Minnesota, Houston, and the Yankees? Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. It might be four and six. But, but. That's the hand they're dealt. So the Orioles are in survival yeah. mode, as I said, in April. Uh, and I just love this time of year because, you know, people say, you know, they have an easier schedule, a tougher schedule. But like you said, they're the teams they play are half the reason because they only have, right. you know, eight games under their and, belt. And the Rays are not going to be a pushover. Right you know. now they're losing a lot of games, and they've lost a lot of one-run games to Boston. Right. So if they've been right there. They just haven't won them, and that's to the Red Sox credit. Yeah. So we can say they played a softer schedule, but – you can lose to teams worse than you as well. It happens all the time. So just because you're better than the other team doesn't mean you're going to win that series. Credit to Boston. Yeah. But I think this is a big week for the Red Sox. Yankees starting tomorrow. Orioles come to Fenway. So this will be a week to kind of see how that 8-1 and one looks in a week. And you mentioned, you know, if they can, Orioles can finish around 500 at the end of April, that's a good sign. But in order to do that, you also have to take care of business against teams you should beat, like the Rays, the Blue Jays tonight here. I mean, the Blue Jays are in second place currently right now, but right. They're, they're, their roster isn't like the Yankees or the Red Sox right now. Um, and also the Tigers, who are definitely in kind of in a rebuild mode um, up in Detroit. So they have to take care of their business against teams that they should beat, while also competing against the top guys. Right, like and Cleveland. I don't even know if we can put Toronto in that category, because, hey, let's face it, a lot of people predicted the Orioles to finish behind Toronto, yeah. and may, maybe more in line with the Rays fighting for fourth and fifth. That was what a lot of the experts said, you know, in March. So um, Toronto's still got plenty of talent. I like their rotation. When you've got, got you know, guys out there like um, uh, uh a half who's pitching tonight, and you've yeah. got Sanchez, and you, I mean, they've got some talent there. So, uh, Donaldson's still around, smokes off to a good start. You know, Toronto's going to be heard from this year. So, uh, the, there's no, in baseball, you can't, there's no breathers, man. There's more off days <laughs> yeah. this year, and today would have been a great day for one for the Orioles, yeah, and the really. schedule said that. You just have to keep plowing. And yeah. so, that's the, the down part. The exciting part for Oriole fans is they can celebrate this win, and then at 7 o'clock there's another game, yeah, yeah. and it's all going to be in the history books. Yeah, speaking of off days, Chris Davis got one yesterday because he, he wasn't feeling well. Buck Walter has been playing with him, both playing and not playing, and also where he fits in the lineup. Obviously, started him out at the top of the lineup uh, to start the season. People complained going in, and then it turned out to not work so well, uh, and he has not looked great in the early goings, despite the fact that he's really talked about, you know, going the opposite way, starting to bunt down that third base line and even improving his defense. Uh, I mean, Chris Davis at this point, um, do you see him getting back in the lineup and being a regular piece at this point, or is Buck Showalter going to have to play with maybe a platoon? I, I think Buck will put him out there because he's not going to get any hits on the bench. And he, he said yesterday uh, in New York that had he been uh, not – sick he would have started against a lefty and so I, I would expect he'll start tonight against Happ unless they say he's still under the weather let's give him another day 
Uh, Chris has got to solve this. I mean, who else? he's the only one that can do it. And they did all this offseason work. He's tried to bunt once. I think he should try more mm-hmm. against the shift. It's worth a shot. Look at Cisco. You know, look how crazy it is that cause. <laughs> yeah. right. But that's the kind of, I'm just saying, that's the kind of bunt you want to execute. Yeah. And Chris needs to be able to execute like that. If Cisco can do it, he can do it. So he needs to do more of that. And he hasn't struck out a lot yet, and people are always tracking that. But I think if he's hitting 40 home runs, they're they're noticing the strikeouts less. So uh, the onus is on him. It's been two years he hasn't put up the production he's he's capable of, and somehow he and Coolball have to figure out a way to get him going. On the flip side of that, Trey Mancini has been really good at the top of the lineup. He's batting 316 in the leadoff spot right now. Have the Orioles found their leadoff man in Trey Mancini? For the moment, they have. It's only four <laughs> games, but he's looking really good on the, in that I top know. spot. It's kind of their Baltimore version of Lou Brock here. <laughs> uh, you know, I think Trey Trey's just a good hitter. You can hit him anywhere, and he'll hit. And the good thing, I think, about Mancini is he's not going to change anything because he's batting first. He's not going up there in the first inning yeah. saying, i got to see eight pitches. If he gets one, he can hit in the gap on the first pitch. He'll do it. Yeah. If he wants, if, if, if the pitcher throws it out of the zone, he'll see eight pitches. So he'll re- react to what he's getting. He's just a good hitter. He's got good play discipline. He knows the strike zone. I love how he still takes the ball to right field, <laughs> a thing of beauty that single the other night. Yep. So um, for now, there's no reason to make a change, you know. I mean, um, he's such a good hitter, he may be there for a while. Yeah, and he also has made some pretty good plays in the field, both in the outfield and at first base. Made a nice grab yesterday. yesterday. Good play at first base, yeah. right? Yeah. Tough play. Yeah, and in a game of, of a great defensive plays, Caleb Joseph might have made the best one. Oh, uh, man. With that 1-2-5 uh, double play. Uh, I mean, Joseph has been solid behind the plate, um, but, I mean, beyond that, this the, he had has had also some great pitchers on the mound in terms of Dylan Bundy, how great he has been to start the season. Two great starts to start. If he goes up tonight and pitches well, do you expect kind of, is this kind of the Dylan Bundy that we're going to see, a lights-out starter? Well, you know, he got off to a great start last year, and I think he tired a little bit late because this kid's still on a multi-year plan of inning buildup. Right. He should be able this year to get 200 innings, knock on wood for him that he stays healthy and gets all his chances, and he could approach that because it was 160, 170 last year, something like that. Yeah. But um, so many things I like about Dylan, and I started to see it back in 2012 when I covered him that great year he had on the farm, and he ended it as one of the top prospects in baseball, and he earned that, believe me. Um, The kid is so smart. He reads bats. He knows the game plan. He can change the game plan in the middle of the game if he has to. Mm. And I like the fact that on a given night, his slider's devastating, these first two starts. I mean, it's been devastating. Yeah. But his curveball's pretty darn good, and his changeup, which he hasn't had to use much, is pretty darn good. Yeah. He has four legitimate pitches he can tap into. And he doesn't throw 98 like I saw him on the farm, but he throws 92-93 with movement, and he can spot it. Yeah. And he's so smart. And like I said, if the slider is working, he might stick with that tonight. I mean, a slider's been a good pitch for him in my recollection against Toronto. He has great numbers against them. And I think last year the slider was big for him. So if you're Dylan tonight, you're going to that until they show you it's different. Um, And so uh, just a smart kid, a lot of weapons, no ego. (laughs) big. He's like a blyer. Right. But you know it's beating inside. Yeah. And Dylan Bundy, the next time he shows emotion on the man, will be the first time. I've never seen it. I mean, this kid, this kid, yeah. you know, they could blow up right field, and he'd be like, oh, I heard a noise back there. What's the count? Yeah. I mean, this, this kid is just, he's just fun, focused yeah. and calm. 
and uh, that's a good trait. Yeah. There's no question that Bundy right now, and I don't mean to backtrack, but he's our best. He's the Orioles' best pitcher right now. I don't mean to backtrack to the Yankees series, but how big, like you said, Steve, you were in Houston. They got swept. They lost five in a row from opening from the start of opening day. How big was it for the Orioles to not only win a series but win three out of four in New York without Dylan Bundy pitching? Exactly. And I mean, I'll, I'll be honest. I, I second guess Buck a little bit on that decision <laughs> to give him an extra day, a second start. Right. It's like already, Buck, you're doing this. And Buck's explanation was, you know, we're looking at the long haul here, not just the first week. Yeah. Uh, but when he made that decision, a thought occurred. That means Dylan isn't pitching in Yankee Stadium either. Mm-hmm. So now he's missing the second game in Houston opposite Verlander, and. You know, he might be pitching tomorrow to avoid a sweep, which as it turned out he was. And now he's not pitching in New York either. It worked out. Again, Buck knows better than all of us, obviously. <laughs> so they go through 3-1 and one without Bundy or Cobb, who of yeah. course isn't here yet. So that was impressive. Um, and so I do think Dylan has shown, especially on five days rest, his stats really tick up. His, his uh, peripheral stats that they talk about are really good when he's pitching on five days. But even with an extra day, it's better. And they'll try to give it to him when they can. But at the same time, when he's your best yeah. and he's pitching like he is now, you don't want to wait too long to see him out there, you know? Yeah. The way he, that he has rebounded from the injuries that plagued his early career has been really nothing short of remarkable. They're hoping that he can be a model for somebody currently in their system in Hunter Harvey. Like we said, exactly. you always have one eye on the minors, one eye on the big league club. Uh, what have you seen so far from in the early goings from Hunter Harvey? Well, you know, he's pitching tonight in Bowie. He's going to throw three innings, and that doesn't shock me. The Orioles decided on that. They're going to go light on his innings early to give them innings to use on the back end mm-hmm. because I'm looking at 100. I think that's the magic number for Harvey. The club will never put that out there, but I guess that's what they're thinking. Mm-hmm. That's about the number for Dylan a couple years ago. Uh, when he came back, and so my guess is uh, three or four inning starts on the farm through April and May, see where the big league club is as we approach midseason, see how Harvey's doing, and it wouldn't shock anybody at this point if he's here at some point. That's lightning fast, but he's been hurt, and he's on the 40-man now, so if you're on the 40-man, you know, those are the guys they go get. And this, this kid reminds me of Dylan in so many ways. He's very laid back like Dylan. He won't show emotion. He's got great mechanics like Dylan. He's got a great curveball. Like the way do you see Hunter Harvey's curveball? It's good. Um, he actually throws a little harder than Dylan right now, probably 92, 95. Mm-hmm. Uh, very poised, very savvy. You can tell he's the son of a former major league pitcher. Um, and so uh, there's a lot to be impressed with Harvey. I've been impressed with him all along. And he's going to, like Dylan, probably come to the big leagues without a lot of minor league experience. Right. Dylan Bundy has never thrown a single inning at AAA, <laughs> and he's pitched about 30 at AA. Can you believe that? Yeah, <laughs> unbelievable. I mean, go look at how little he's pitched above Frederick. Right. And look at what he's doing in the major leagues. And Hunter Harvey is probably going to be doing something similar here. <laughs> Which would make sense. I mean, <laughs> you know, Dylan Bundy, if he struggled the first year, few years in his big league career, maybe that's like an extended... Uh, he's, you know, he's still league, learning. Yeah. Career, yeah. Yeah. He's yeah. still learning, and a lot of people forget that. Those mm-hmm. innings that he didn't get the bank yeah. 
on the farm at the highest levels, they're meaningful. Yeah. And so those are innings that helped a guy like Cisco so much. Right. Because he told me at Bowie, he got to catch pitchers who are 28 and 30 now. They have a real game plan. Yeah. They're like, hey, kid, I'm going to bounce that curveball. you got to block it. So and two, I'm bouncing that pitch. So yeah. you got to block it. You know, And he would learn things that veteran pitchers needed to do, mm-hmm. and it helped Cisco so much. And Dylan hasn't had that. And Hunter's Hunter hasn't... He's going from Delmarva to Bowie. He's skipping <laughs> Frederick. So, I mean, you know, there's an exciting talent there. It's yeah. going to be a Bowie. Another name um, on the Orioles farm that you hear a lot is uh, Austin Hayes, a guy who came up and pit, contributed to the big league club late last season. Um, a lot of fans wanting him to break the break uh, spring training with the Orioles this year mm-hmm. and now with the slow start from Colby Rasmus and now he's on the DL people are asking for him to come up what do you what's, what's Austin Hayes doing down the, on the farm and do you see any time frame for him coming up soon I, I think they should just leave him go for a while yeah. whether that's three four six eight weeks yeah. somewhere in there because one thing they want Austin to do and he's on board with it uh, is is improve his plate discipline he's not a free swinger but he's not a selective guy uh, and early in his career, they were okay with him being aggressive because look at the damage he was doing. Yeah. And they were like, listen, kid, if you get a pitch you can hit, hit it, man. Don't just sit there and take. But as, as he found out last year in the big leagues, they're going to try to get him to expand that zone three or four inches outside. They're going to throw him that down and away curve. And if he shows he'll swing at it, he's going to keep seeing it. So he's going to have to learn that. Uh, the, you know, He won't see that Labui like he'll see in the big leagues, but I think they're – you know, they got a great hitting coach at Bowie, by the way. Keith Bowie, this guy's really good. He helped D.J. Stewart immensely right. get his career on track. Yeah, and he's changed his stance. And exactly, big exactly. Swing. I mean, he's a, he's, a, he's a hidden hero on the, on the farm boat. He's really good. And he's helped some guys at Bowie. And uh, Rosa won the MVP last year. Right. And, uh, you know, well, now Keith was in Frederick last year, so I can't <laughs> give him credit for that. But he's worked with some of these guys, and he'll be with, there with Hayes. So I think... You know, I'm okay with Austin Hayes staying down for a little bit. He's going to be here. We know that. And he's the future. We know that. And so I'm okay with him getting a little more seasoning. Yeah. Uh, we don't want to take up too much of your time here, Steve, but uh, you, because you are the resident expert on the minor leagues, not to put you on the spot, are there any guys that we should be maybe keeping an eye on early a closer on? closer eye maybe? Yeah. <laughs> not, not a big I, name? Well, I'll tell you, Delmarva's rotation has got a lot of young pitching talent. Uh, they're starting, I believe it's a six-man rotation with actually seven starters. In other words, one night there's a piggyback situation. Um, and so Frederick's doing something similar. A lot of good arms to the lower levels. I mean, Delmar is off to a 4-0 start. They've scored 40 runs, and their starter's ERA is 2.4. So they're pitching and they're hitting. Yeah. And uh, the other good, Britain, good Buck, say. is the manager there, by the way. The other Buck, the Buck other Britain, Buck, is managing Britain. in Delmarva. Yeah. <laughs> Zach's older brother, who I wrote about uh, yesterday. Zach had some nice quotes about Buck. Nice. So he's going to do a good job there. And Matthias Dietz and Brennan Hannafy and Zach Lothar and uh, D.L. Hall, the first-round pick from last year. He That's hasn't right. even pitched for Delmarva yet. He's towards the back end. Uh, so they have some interesting arms to watch. It's kind of a mix of young guys who might be 19, 18, 19, 20, and college draft picks from last year who might move fast. In other words, they might, like a Michael Bauman who started opening night, he struck mm-hmm. out 10 in five innings. Nice. He might pitch at Delmarva for a month, and they might move him to Frederick because he's an older guy. They can kind of get him going. Mm-hmm. So that Delmarva's team is going to be interesting to watch. Frederick's got some young arms. Um, you know, Bowie's got Hayes and Mullins. Mullins homered yesterday. Uh, DJ Stewart hit a walk-off home run for Norfolk yesterday. So, I mean, 
Man, it's going pretty good to be an Oriole fan right now in the last three or four days yeah, it's between crazy. the farm and the major league. So uh, let's bottle this and keep it going. It's crazy how, like, Steve, you cover the minors better than anybody. Check out Steve's blog on MassInSports.com. He knows the Orioles farm system front and back. But, you know, just a couple of years, the Orioles were the experts, so to speak, were really down on the Orioles farm system. Now it seems like it's loaded with talent and the future is bright for this club. Yeah. And, you know, it was there was more talent then than they were getting credit for, in my opinion. And I told Dan Duquette, because he and I have had many conversations along these lines, about a year or two ago, I said, in the next 12 months, your ranking is going to go up because you're going to get more top 100 players. Um, and that's where these rankings are born from. The Orioles yeah. had three or four now. And last year they had Cisco was the only one. Yeah. And uh, so Hayes moved in there. Um, uh, you know, some people like DJ Stewart is maybe a back-end guy. D.L. Hall's going to be in there. Hunter Harvey's clearly top 100 with healthy. So these guys started to bring the farm system ranking up. And so now they have these young arms at Delmarva, and people are going, wow, top to bottom, there's some <laughs> exciting things to watch. And so next, now they move from, like, 26th in these organizational rankings to 17, 18, 16. Next year they might be 8 or 10 or something. Yeah. Um, and so Brian Graham, I've said for years, I think he's an excellent player development director. You know, they've got some really experienced managers at the top levels, and Ron Johnson and Gary Kendall and Bodie I've talked about, and Kenny Steen's track of going on and on with some of these long-term instructors. And if you look at the Orioles' staff and the minors, it's very stable. The four managers of the four four-season four teams have been there. Uh, the pitching coaches have been around for a while. They promoted Alan Mills, obviously, who's done well here from the farm. They promoted Bobby Dickerson a few years ago from the farm to the Major League staff. So, And if you look at the five-year period from 2012 to 16, when the Orioles had the best record in the AL, a lot of homegrown guys contributed yeah. to that, from Manny to Scope to Britton yeah. to Joseph. And then they traded homegrown guys to get Adam Jones. They traded from their farm to get J.J. Hardy. Mm -hmm. So they used their farm to build a team to win in the big leagues and so uh it's nice for me it's nice to see guys on the farm getting some props right now yeah. good good things are happening with the big league club good things are happening with some of the minor league affiliates and great things are happening on this podcast whenever we can get you on steve thanks so much thanks for so much. Uh, yeah. yeah hopefully they don't get no hit tonight we're all want <laughs> to sleep in tomorrow yeah but, really. uh, you know and it is going to be a challenge because as yeah. good as players at the major leagues are of taking it day to day mm -hmm. You know, you just feel like you want to rest on your laurels a little bit. Yeah, if you're an Oriole yeah. fan or a player right now, some time off, and you can't. You know, in yeah. a couple hours, you're right back out there. Yeah, absolutely. And you're going to be right back out right there back tonight, out there. covering this game tonight. <laughs> Steve Molesky, Bobby Blanco, I'm Paul Mancano. Thanks so much for joining us, Steve. And you got it, guys. Surely have you on in the future.